This is Truth Encounter, and today we will be continuing our exposure to Deuteronomy chapter 25, a chapter that moves from courtrooms to the grain fields to a brawl to a business transaction. Dave shared with us about some mosaic principles of justice and how we can apply the intent of this law in our modern court systems. Today, if you like thinking about word puzzles, you will enjoy the next few minutes. So let's join Dave for the continuation of truth and justice for all. Now we change subjects again. We move from the courtroom to the business world. Now we move and, and finances. Now look at the next verse. Verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them died without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. This is a very strange custom. What's going on here? It's saying, this is what we call leveret marriage. The whole book of Ruth is written about this. It's a kind of a strange custom. And remember I showed you how different societies, remember we started out in New Guinea? And so you need to try to enter back into this culture. It's not saying that, if they, that some of you girls are saying, oh, horrors, man, I never want to marry you know, my brother-in-law. Well, don't fear. That's, that's really not what's going on in this text, okay? But under the ancient society of Israel, you need to go back in time a little bit to understand, and there's some normative principles that we can learn as we look back here. It's saying that you have a woman that's married to a brother, and he has several brothers in the family, and the brother dies, no kids. Now, in ancient Israel, that woman could be left destitute. Now, she couldn't call up Kelly girls, or she couldn't go back to university and, and get a nursing degree and go teach. And there's something we can really be thankful for in our society today. And the Lord, remember, a lot of what we've learned in Deuteronomy is that God enters into in Deuteronomy to the society the way it was back then, and show us how to make a bad situation better? Well, that's what this law is about. He doesn't want this girl to be destitute. He also, there's something else I want you to be looking for. I want you, as, I, as we read the, this text, I want you to think about why is God so concerned about this woman connecting with a brother-in-law? What is the key issue here? In fact, it's so strategic that as I read the next paragraph, if the brother-in-law won't do it, if he won't marry his sister-in-law, he's really shamed. Let's read it, and we'll see if we can figure out why the Lord's so concerned for this woman to be able to marry the brother-in-law. However, if the man does not want to marry his brother, brother's wife, doesn't like her, maybe he doesn't want to, uh, to spoil his own material uh, advantage at the point, it says, she shall go to the elders at the town gate. Notice, I want you to notice the community that's here. I want you to know that, that there's elders in the gate. There are wise, mature people that can help you. It says, she shall go to the elders of the gate, and she shall say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him, and they shall talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Now that's a weird custom. 
Now, all of you have read this in your quiet time, and you've said, man, that really warms my heart, really touches my heart, right? What's going on in this text? First of all, why do you think God's so concerned that this woman be able to have a child? Children took care of parents in their old age. So if this widow doesn't have any children, then when she gets older, there will be no one there will be to take care of her. Okay? What's another reason why God's so concerned about this? The key thing here is God is concerned about the widow, as David was saying, and her needs. In the New Testament, guess who the brothers and sisters are of a widow? All of us. First of all, the initial physical family. The Bible teaches that the widows need to be taken care of, first of all, by their physical family. If there's not physical family, then the Bible says that a church needs to really take care of those needs. In fact, some of our leaders, some of the, we have some of our leaders, that's been one of the major things that they've done, is really just thought of and been there and helped, taken on trips, all kinds of neat things to help with someone that's alone. And I want all of our church family to realize that we're all in this together. And we need to be there for one another. It's why it's so important for us to be connected. So that's one of the reasons God had this Leverett Law. But one of the dominant things is the guy did not have a child that could pass on his name. You see, in old Israel, it was a very, very important thing to pass on your name, to generate children and pass on your name. Why? Because the children of Israel were the, were the promised people. They had a physical land, and they looked forward to a physical blessing, and it was important to be generating children so that all the tribes of Israel would be strong, so that all 12 tribes would be represented. And Israel was very concerned not to have one family drop out, not one family be, um, be lost. No names would be lost. And so the idea of the Leverett marriage is when the woman was married to her brother-in-law, the first child that was born from that union would be given the name of the father that died, the brother that died, and then that son would inherit all that his father would have been able to give to a son. And then he would take that name, and that name would not be eliminated from Israel. That's what the whole book of Ruth deals with, that that name not be eliminated. In other words, the idea of generating physical children who would carry on a name was really important in old Israel. It shows you how God cares about kids. It shows how important it is for there to be family solidarity. In fact, it was so strong in ancient Israel that if a man would not do that, he was publicly shamed. The woman would, would grab the sandal off his foot. And the idea of that strange custom is, is the way that you would exercise your property rights over a land, like if you bought a house, if you bought a land, if you bought a farm, the Israelites would say that you trod upon it, you walked upon it. Remember when the Lord gave the promise to Abraham about possessing the land? He says, every place where the sole of your foot treads, that will be yours. So like the way that you transferred property rights is you would take off your shoe and give it to the other person and that would give them the right to trot on your land. It would become their land. you understand it? It's an old expression. And what God is saying is the widow would go and grab the shoe of the guy that would not marry her and raise up seed to his brother and she'd spit in his face, which was a public shaming because he was not willing to lovingly exercise honor and respect for his brother and raise up a seed that could carry on his brother's name. And I want you to see how they use social pressure. In our society today, 
We're totally against social pressure. We're totally against there being any kind of shame at all. We can do whatever we want to do, and it's just fine. And I want you to see that that's not really healthy. There's some things that you need to be whipped for, according to old Israel. There's other things that you should be shamed for, and this is really hard for us to hear. It's hard for me even to teach it, because as Americans, we want to say, I have a right to do whatever I want to do. You know, like, I, I, you know, just talking the last couple of days, one of my friends just met with a whole bunch of his Christian friends he was raised with in a Christian high school. And one of the guys sitting there, one of his best friends, just says, well, I'm leaving, and I'm getting divorced. My friend says to him, well, you know, why do you want to get divorced? I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Just not, just really, it's just not happening. The common line of our society now is, isn't that nice? You really need to go out. I, I really think you can find real meaning and fulfillment with somebody else. And I think your wife, because you're really not happy, I think your wife will be able to find real nice fulfillment with somebody else. And there's no shame. The whole idea, in fact, if you, if, if, if you say, like my friend said to this guy, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. You mean to tell me that because you're not happy, you're going to make your wife unhappy, you're going to make your kids unhappy, you're going to make your mom and dad unhappy, that you're going to tear apart your whole family and all your heritage just because you're not happy? Well, that's a real friend. And may the Lord raise up that tribe. May that tribe increase. Because that's what's, that's what's missing in our society. We need a little spitting in the face. And I say that in a loving way. What I'm saying is I want you to believe that if someone does a really dumb, stupid, destructive thing, they can't get away with it. And I want to share with you something else. A whole lot of the counselors, a whole lot of the counselors that people go to, they're having trouble, that tell them, well, you're right. You're really not feeling too good. And man, you need to feel better. And, and boy, we want you to be happy. So just go ahead and get divorced and go ahead and wipe your family out. Everything will be, everybody will be happy in the end. It'll be so good as we play musicals, chairs with partners. A lot of those same counselors are doing the same thing with their counselees. I just heard of another one of my friends that fell in immorality, was messing around with his clientele. You know what's missing in our society? Moral guts. This brother-in-law was stupid. He didn't care about his brethren. In their society, they cared about their family. They honored one another. And if the brother selfishly wouldn't do it, he couldn't just say, well, that's my thing. I'm just exercising my independent right. The woman grabbed his shoes, spit in his face, and then everybody in the society says, you're the man of the un unshoed. Everywhere he went, man, he went to the cafe, he goes, here he comes, unshoed. Now, our society thinks that's really mean and ugly, but you know what it does? It makes people learn to do right. And I want there to be, I want there to be loving pressure. We're willing to talk through things, willing to help you struggle, learn to do right. God's grace comes in and helps us to do some incredible things. But I want you to know something. God really, really cares that we do right and that we care for others. In fact, I challenge you to find where God says in his word, boy, my number one thing for you is I want you to really be happy and fulfilled. 
A lot of times God says, no, you follow me, you're going to go right to the cross. But you know what I find as I, as I grow up and I learn by the grace and the love of God to do right and let Jesus' love explode in me, not because it makes me happy, but because it's right, then people don't spit in my face. In fact, people hug me in their arms and say, this really is reality, this is true. And my prayer is that we're going to recapture you know, these customs of all change with the underlying family values, the underlying principles of people being in this together, people not just being out there by themselves, people caring about what other people will think about them in a healthy sense because that group around them helps them to think right. That's all part of this text. Now, the next passage, one of the weirdest passages of Deuteronomy, that we struggle with, look at verse 11. It relates to this whole area, too, of generating kids for the next generation. Look at verse 11. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private part, she shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. Well, let's move on to the next verse. <laughs> I told you they had different customs. <laughs> One of the things that you need to see about this verse is, I, that's why I started out talking about different societies. I've been wrestling with this all week long, getting ready for this, because I, I've been asking myself, what troubles me about this? Well, first of all, it troubles me to talk about anything like that on a Sunday morning. And what I want you to know is that you live in a society where, like, I flip on the TV, I've heard nothing but private parts. And I want every one of your parents to think, if you think your kids don't ever hear about that, they do. I also thought about something else. You know that in our culture, the private parts aren't sacred at all. They're not sacred things. They're playthings and they're things to talk dirty about and ugly about. And that's why we don't understand this text. That's why this text bothers us so much. You see, in old Israel, the generation of children for the next generation was a holy thing. And a man and woman's sexual organs were holy. They were sacred, holy, reverenced things. They weren't joked about in old Israel. They weren't the stuff of, of locker room garbage talk. It was a sacred thing. And I think you understand that. I think deep inside of every one of you, there's a real desire for it to be like that. I know that's the way it is in my own life. And what God is saying is, in this verse, it's a strange verse. You see, the woman, these men are fighting. Men sometimes fight. Sometimes they get angry, sometimes they wrestle. Women do it too sometimes, but usually men do it with a greater propensity. This woman comes up and her husband and this other guy are fighting. It doesn't say that his life is in danger. It just says that they're fighting. And she reaches out and says, man, I'm going to just... It's a Bobbit thing. You know, man, he's doing wrong to me. Boom. And our society laughs about that. In fact, the, the women's movement is rising up. That's what I need to talk about. The women's movement is rising up and says, man, we're going to do it to all of you. I want every one of you girls to realize that kind of thought is from the pit of hell, and it will destroy you. It will put you in a women's world all by yourself, and you will hate the opposite sex. And you will hate sexuality, and it will, it will develop all kinds of perverted sex 
in you and in the men that you're relating to. And it's wrong. So that idea is, boy, he got exactly what he deserved. That idea in our culture is from the pit of hell. I'm not saying that what he did was right. What he did was evil. That's what this whole chapter's been about. Remember courtrooms? Remember fair hearings? Remember whippings when there's real evil that's done? And I want you to see how far our society has gone because our society says, man, you do what you want to do. You do what individually what should be done. And man, if I'm being hurt, I'm going to just hurt somebody. That's not going to work. Now, why did God give such a strict punishment about this? Because in old Israel, the two guys fighting, the woman destroys his ability. The idea of her him grabbing him is she destroys his ability to generate any children. And we've just come out of a whole passage that talks about how important it is to generate children in old Israel. And what the Bible's teaching us here, if you were lawyers and I was teaching you in a law court, I would, teaching you in law school, I would ask all of you, what's the principle at work here? What's the ethical principle that's so important for law and so important for life? It was wrong for the men to be fighting. The woman was right to try to stop them. But her execution of her own individual judgment against the man, destroying his right to produce a family for the next generation, what she did did not fit what was taking place. And the end does not justify the means. That's the principle. That's a, that's a principle that we often forget. The end does not justify the means in anything. It was a right end. The woman had every right to not want her husband to be hurt. It was the right end, and, I, I, and I'm wholeheartedly in favor of that. It was the right end. But she chose the wrong means, especially in old Israel, because she, she profaned something that was sacred. She was immodest. And she destroyed a man's ability to produce children. And in old Israel, contrary to our society, that really meant something. You say, Dave, what's the normative principle for us? I want us to recapture the holiness. And, and, and as our family has now grown up, like as our family is now maturing and our kids are going away from home, it's, it's just really underscored to me how important the choices were that Mary and I made when we were young and the values that we were taught. And seeing what God can do in a family, seeing the fun that you can have, just before I came back, Jonathan and I, we just got on a wave runner and, and rode a wave runner together for two and a half hours. It wasn't like we were father and son. It was just fun. It was like two men having fun together. And I see some of you dads that have older sons shaking your hand like that. I want you to know that, brothers and sisters, it can really be like that. Your son can look at you right in the eye and he can be committed to you and he can love you and he can have the values that you have. And you mess all that up when you don't take sex sacred. In just moments of time, if I treat sex in a dirty way, or if I commit treachery and steal someone else's wife, or steal someone else's future wife, in a moment of treachery, all that is, is, is exposed and it's, and it's ruined and it's destroyed. Now God's grace loves to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, as I've taught you all through the years. But I want you to know how important it is. Let's try to stay up on the wall. That's what this verse is about. Did they cut off her hand? I don't know any instance in the Old Testament where they cut off her hand. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a lex talionis, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's never really executed, hardly at all. It's kind of like the hyperbole that Jesus uses, I believe, when he says, if your eye offends you, cut it out. It's a warning to us. It's a strong warning saying, this is serious business. Don't take your sexual organs lightly. Men and women don't. Your society says it's just nothing. It's just a profane thing, just a secular thing. It's just a physical, titillating thing. The God says no. Children generate from that. Family heritage generates from that. You don't think that's important? My dad, as a grandfather, counted up his family heritage. There's over 80 in his extended family now. And I could go on for hours right now talking to you about the impact of that extended family. And some of you, some of you as grandparents, I would encourage you, think through your family tree. Think through where it's going, what is happening. That's a sacred thing. As God begins to work in that, that's a holy thing. And that's why when this woman reached out and destroyed a man's potential to do that, it was a heinous thing in old Israel. Some of you are single in the audience. Some of you also don't have any kids. And you say, well, Dave, I, I, I can't generate a spiritual heritage. If God's so concerned about producing kids, what about, what about me? And Kim's asked me that question many, many times. And he told me about a guy he met with on July 4th who told him a really sad story. The, the man had two teenagers right in the prime of their teenage years. And suddenly his son was cut off in a terrible automobile accident. And that's one of the worst tragedies that can ever happen, and our family knows that tragedy. The tragedy was, was compounded, made more intense, because about a year later, his daughter committed suicide. So in just a brief period of time, a precious daddy lost his whole heritage, just like that. And this man in July 4 shared how he just snuffed his spiritual life away, got angry with God, went totally away from church, totally away from the Bible. That easily can happen, can it? But you know, Kim on July 4th was able to talk to his friend and say, the friend started to say, but you know, I'm starting to come back. But one of the things that really makes me cry is I don't have any kids. And I never will be able to have any kids because I'm too old now. And dear Kim looked at him and said, hey, you can have kids because I've never even been married. And I have a lot of spiritual kids. You know, I think that's what the New Testament application is. The New Testament is saying, it's not just the physical kids. Some of you aren't going to be able to produce physical kids. I want you to know it's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing when you open your home. And many of you have done that with, and your family has grown bigger than mine has grown. Every adopted kid, and I want you to know, under God, that's a holy thing. Man, I just got Jonathan and Joel, Joshua and Janae. They were here. But your parents got to choose you. Your parents did that because they loved you in an incredible way. And they wanted to pass on themselves in your life. That's a holy thing. And any time you hear from any church family anything against adoption, that kind of a thing, beware. It's the contradiction of what the Scripture is teaching about spiritual families 
and what families are in the New Testament. And I also want to say this as we close. I want every one of you to ask, what about your physical kids, but what about your spiritual kids? But I want to share something with you. As I traveled the last couple weeks, I became painfully aware about how families are dividing. Church families are dividing. The older ones have their service, and the young people have their service. I want you to think really hard about that as a family of believers. Kids, you need those that have gray hairs, and you need them to mentor you. You need them to train you. You need them to teach you about their life. And don't miss it, kids. Don't live in just a young people's world. Some of these people that have had a lot of years of experience will save you, even your life sometimes. So don't believe all that stuff. You know, man, we just need to be with our own under 30. We can't trust anybody that's over 30. You know that's not true. And I want to say to every one of you older people that are here, you need these kids. Around the auditorium, you need the children. You need the teenagers. This text is saying our physical kids are important, sacred. Don't crush your ability to produce kids. But if you can't produce physical kids, the Bible's saying, under the new covenant, you can all produce spiritual kids. Not just in our church, but throughout this whole town, in schools, teachers going back, spiritual kids for you. And I want you to begin to pray. As we close today, I want you to begin to pray, Lord, we understand today you really love spiritual kids. Help us to produce some and disciple some. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you encouraging the younger generation to be fully devoted to the biblical Christ? This means that all of us take very seriously the presentation of Jesus Christ in the Gospels and the explanation of his teaching in the epistles. That every day we are reading these accounts, asking the Spirit of God to understand this practical wisdom and then going out in the day and obeying it. It means that when we discover that our long-held traditions are not consistent with the clear teaching of Scripture, we must let our tradition go. Traditions will not be strong enough to keep our kids straight in the midst of the onslaught of evil in the modern world. They need authentic, personal, Christ-like reality. We at Truth Encounter do not ask you to agree with all of Dave's interpretations of Scripture. He is growing, and so are we. We do ask you to join us in getting serious about what it means to live biblically in the 21st century.